Good morning. If you want to turn with your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, like I am, we will get there in a moment. Um, first, let me just say thank you. Thank you so much for having Claire and I and the kids to, to be here with you today. It genuinely, genuinely is a privilege and a joy every time we get to spend a bit of time with you. Um, and I hope that if, if you are a visitor here this morning like we are, that you are feeling as welcomed and as accepted as we do um, every time we come and visit. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for your warmth and your welcome and your, your hospitality today. Um, two days ago on Friday... We gathered our little family together in the lounge uh, to spend a bit of time remembering uh, and thanking God for what was quite a dark period of our life five years ago when we had a stillbirth uh, baby, a little boy called Reuben. And we, we kind of gathered together and looked through a little box we have of uh, different memories from the hospital and kind of talked to the kids about it. The girls were quite young at the time, so they don't remember a great deal, but we think it's really important to kind of share and remember and and encourage them that we can still praise God in the midst of when everything seems to go wrong. And one of the things that that season of our lives five years ago really taught us was that if you want to walk on water, you have to get ready to face a storm. And that really sits at the heart of this story that we're going to look at today. I think sometimes we live in this belief that actually Christianity is about everything in our lives going right, and it's about as soon as I believe the right things, as soon as I do the right things, somehow someone's going to wave this magic wand and everything in our lives is going to be perfect. The seas are always going to be calm and still, and we're going to be able to get on with whatever it is that we want to do in our lives. And yet I think we all know that that's not true. And actually, storms do come. And life does get difficult, and the seas do get choppy. And yet, the true heart of being a Christian is through the center of those storms. We have a God that is right there present with us, enabling us not just to survive them, but at times even rise above them. So we're going to take a little bit of time uh, to think about this story. So Matthew chapter 14, if you're there, verse 22, it's obviously going to be on the screen behind me. Let me just read this out for us, and we'll spend a bit of time thinking about what we can learn from it. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the winds died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. 
People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. I think the story starts actually in a very similar place to many of our stories, particularly the stories of when things get difficult and hard and the seams get a bit stormy. If we take away the chapters and verses and headings that weren't there when Matthew was originally written, this would have been sent around to churches and they would have read it in one sitting together. We find that actually they just come from this place where Jesus has fed over 5,000 people with a few bits of bread and a few bits of fish. So you can imagine at least I imagine, if I was one of those disciples, having been a part of that, having witnessed that, having seen that sort of miracle, you'd be in some sort of place of euphoria. I mean, life would feel good. Things would feel happy. Things would feel enthusiastic and passionate. And and they must be beginning to think, wow, we really might change the world. We really might see all sorts of things happen. But Jesus doesn't let them rest on their laurels. He doesn't Let them stay in that place. Because as good of a place as that is, he knows that there are really important things for them that they need to grow into and learn. So he gets them in a boat. He pushes them off the shore, so to speak. And he sends them on their way straight from a time when it seems like nothing could be better to probably one of the darkest moments at this point in their journey with Jesus. And that's often how it happens in life, isn't it? That these dark times, these stormy times, they kind of catch us unaware, I think. I think often they come at times when, I mean, sometimes it feels like it's just one storm after another. And yet at other times it it feels like you're in this place and you're almost unsuspecting, almost unaware. You don't really see it coming and then something happens. And the seas start to roar and the waves start to buffet and the storm starts to rage And things get dark and things get difficult. And I think there's something about that that we can really identify here in this story. That they move so quickly from a place of happiness and peace and euphoria to not being able to move across this lake. Because the waves are hitting them so strongly. Well, at the same time, as a little bit of a side note, Jesus' journeys, after he dismisses the crowd, he journeys up a mountainside to pray. And we miss something here often in how we read these New Testament narratives. Because we live in a culture that's very centered on ourselves. It's individualistic. It's all about what we can gain as individuals, all about how we grow, how we get more wealth, how we accomplish and achieve and succeed. And everything within our culture, from education to careers, everything is built around enabling individuals to make the most of their lives. Jesus lives in a culture at this time of period that is community-centered. It's, it's very different in how they thought and, and their kind of worldview about life and the world. And, and if you visit parts of the world that are still like that, say in like Eastern Asia, like Malaysia, or parts of Africa, or even parts of the Middle East still, have this kind of community-centered culture. One of the things that you find when you visit there is people rarely go anywhere by themselves. Rarely. I was reading a book recently about a guy who was leading a Bible college in Malaysia, and and he found it quite strange that whenever he asked somebody to go and do something, run a little errand, they always took two or three people with them. And he, he got a bit frustrated that, why are you always pulling other people away from the class and away from the lectures? And their response was, well, why would you make us go somewhere alone? Because in their culture and in the way that they saw the world, community and being together and not being alone was absolutely vital. 
So we miss something here when we hear of Jesus going off by himself to pray on a mountainside. Because we look at it and we think, oh, look at Jesus. He's, he's having his quiet time. He's, he's having his bit of devotional time with God. Isn't that good? Well, I really should get up earlier, more often in the morning and have quiet time with God. And we, we feel a bit bad that we don't pull ourselves away like Jesus is. And yet in his culture, to go off by himself was a sign of a deep, deep burden that he was carrying. People didn't spend time alone in his culture unless you felt the burden you you were carrying was so deep the community around you couldn't handle it. I wonder how often we have felt like that. That the burden we carry is so deep we're not even sure the people we know love us, the people we know carry carry us, the people we know want the best for us, whether we're convinced that they can handle it. And that's the place that Jesus finds himself. And actually, we find him in that place throughout most of the gospel narrative, dipping away, spending time by himself, trying to deal and process this incredibly deep and dark burden he's carrying as he knows, uh, I believe, the direction that he's heading and the the crucifixion and the death that is looming uh, in his future and in the distance. But eventually, Jesus... Uh, stops that. And actually, I think there's something for us to learn there because Jesus does go off by himself to pray, does go off to spend some time with the Father. And I think that's a really important lesson to learn, that at times when we do feel like our burden is too much for the people around us, it's not too much for God. And the encouragement to not just pull away completely by yourself, but to press into God for a time. And then notice Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain. He walks down and starts to go back towards his family, back towards that community, back towards the people he knows care about him, and re-enters that. And I think that's the challenge for a lot of us. Because sometimes, once we've removed ourselves, it feels easier to stay there, doesn't it? Than to re-engage, to reconnect, to have to deal with all the questions of, how are you? How are things going? Has it gotten any better? And you don't necessarily have all the answers that you think people are going to want to hear. And so our temptation is to stay on our own. But Jesus shows us it's okay to go off for a while and pray, to connect to God, to press into him. But don't stay there. Come back and connect to the community he's placed around you. So Jesus eventually comes off this mountainside. And uh, the disciples at this time, they're, they're on the lake. They're a considerable distance, but this is a massive lake. So they haven't really gotten all that far. And the text tells us that they are being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. The word buffeted here literally means, in the words that Matthew is using, not writing in English, obviously, literally means to be tormented by it, to be, to be tortured by it. And anybody, I'd imagine, in this room who's, who's been out in a boat in a storm can empathize with that sense of where it feels like the wind and the waves are unrelenting and torturous and just absolutely tormenting you at the lack of progress that you're making. And so you've got this picture of they're trying to head in this direction, but the wind and the waves are battering them so unrelentingly that they're not really making any progress. They're just stuck in the middle, being almost tortured by this storm. And again, I wonder how many of us can connect with that sentiment 
at times of our lives where the forces that seem to be opposing us, and interestingly enough, the word wind throughout the early church would become a, a picture for Christians of the forces that oppose us. So at a number of points in Paul's writing and later in Revelation in John, the wind gets used as an image for the things that oppose us, for the things that are fighting against us, for the things that are stopping us from moving forward. I wonder how often we've been in those seasons. Maybe you're in one now where it feels like the forces are just unrelenting. They're just pushing and pushing. You're being buffeted, tormented, tortured by the opposition that you're facing. Some good friends of ours in Yeovil just had their first baby uh, over the summer months, over August, and they had a really rough 10 days. Um, they would later find out that there was a bad tongue-tie issue going on, but the baby would spend literally hours. They were thinking it would be feeding, but it wasn't swallowing anything. And so after trying to feed for hours, it would just cry for hours, and it was just back and forth, back and forth, never really getting any sleep, never really stopping. Uh, and he would. we were away in the States on holiday at the time, but when I got back and I caught up with him, he said literally they just spent their days sat in their house on their own just crying on the sofa, going, is this, is this really what parenting is? Is this going to get any better? I'd imagine those of you who are parents have a story similar in some ways of at times where the difficulties just felt a bit unrelenting. Thankfully, things have gotten a bit better for them now, and they're managing a few hours sleep at a time um, and are starting to recover and feel a little bit more human. But there's something about these moments when we feel powerless feel helpless to change anything. And because you have to remember, these, these disciples, a number of them were fishermen. They are professionals at boating. I mean, there weren't really people in their culture more professional at getting across a lake than these guys, and yet they're stuck, powerless, helpless, unable to really change their circumstances. And those are the storms I think that often feel the hardest when we realize how powerless and helpless to actually change what's going on we are. My best friend's brother died over the summer. He's South African. Uh, his brother lived in a small little country called Lesotho, which sits within South Africa. So he went to South Africa to visit. Uh, due to a whole bunch of passport issues, he wasn't allowed to go into the country to, to go to his brother's funeral. Um, but his English wife and son were, so they went off and, and he remained behind uh, in a white-controlled part of South Africa where racism is still rife and an ever-present reality. Um, And he just talked about how there were so many points in his trip that he felt like he was completely incapable of keeping his family safe. Talked about moments where they'd be in situations and he could sense the hostility rising against them and his mixed-race family, um, both actually from whites and from blacks in South Africa. And about at times where he just felt terrified that something extraordinarily horrific was so close to happening. And then coming back, he sent me a message uh, just last week saying that he'd just gone to work for the first time, was sat on the tube, he lives in London, and he just suddenly got hit with all the emotions from his mom and dad died when he was young, and then his grandmother who raised him died a few years ago, and now his brothers died. That and uh, all those days of having to deal with the stress of that racism and that fear and not being able to protect his family suddenly hit him. And he said he was just sat in the middle of a tube train, crowded with people, just absolutely bawling his eyes out, just completely incapable of being able to move or respond or do anything. Because that's how life feels sometimes, almost torturous. 
being buffeted by these things, whether it's grief or illness, whether it's a, a change in circumstances or a loss of a job. These stormy seasons can feel unrelenting. And here we have the story of these disciples in a stormy season. They're in this boat, they're being buffeted, and then suddenly, probably not too far away, because remember it's a store, so storm, so I can't imagine their, their visibility is all that great. Suddenly this image appears. Jesus is walking on the lake towards them. And now I've often had in my mind this image of Jesus walking on still water. You know, you think about when you see these magicians try and walk across the Thames or that Jesus lizard in David Attenborough's films that run across the water. And you, you often kind of imagine it as being this, this still water, but you have to remember it's a storm. The waves are so strong that they are preventing the boat from moving forward. And it's on this water that Jesus is walking on, that somehow he's rising above it, which is an, an image of that completely blows my mind. And, you know, as he going up and down is he going through is he rising above it all i don't know but either way they see this image of a man coming towards them which at first they remark seems like a ghost and again how often is that our experience that actually when we find ourselves in dark times when we find ourselves in storms would it be fair to say that actually god often feels like a ghost feels like a sort of distant apparition. We're not really sure if he's really there or not there, real or not real. Is he coming or not coming? Uh, these storms can leave us in this place where we're doubting, we're questioning, we're, we're not really sure what's going on. Is he really real? And I love the honesty in the Gospels, that these stories quite clearly weren't fabricated because who would, who would write themselves in a story to be so fallible, to be so flawed that they think he was a ghost, Peter loses faith and sinks, these aren't the stories that you write if you want to memorialize yourself in the, in the hero books forever. They're true stories of people with doubts and questions and worries. True stories of people struggling to connect the reality of God's presence with the reality of the pain and the storms that they're facing. But then there's this moment where they're seeing this, this image they think is a ghost. It's coming closer and closer. They're feeling terrified. But then Jesus speaks. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. That phrase, take courage, it literally means, in the original words that Matthew's writing it, it literally means to be emboldened from within, for something to rise from within you. So it's, it's like Jesus isn't saying, you know, suddenly find some courage, get brave, try harder. That's not what Jesus is saying. Although that's kind of how our mindset probably would read it. What he's saying is, take it. I'm giving you courage. I'm rising something up within you. I'm giving you the ability to face this storm. It is I. I am here. You do not need to be afraid. And I think in response to that courage, in response to that emboldenment, in response to that thing that is firing up from within Peter, and connected to the fact that Peter saw Jesus as his rabbi. Now, in that Jewish culture, a rabbi, a teacher, called a group of disciples to come and follow him. And when a rabbi did that, he was literally saying to the, the men that he called to follow him, I believe that you have what it takes to be me, to be like me. So come, follow, watch, 
and become like me. That was the relationship between a rabbi and a disciple. So Peter, in a sense, had already heard Jesus speak into his life and say, I believe that you have what it takes to be like me. He knows and sees Jesus as his rabbi. And so when he sees his rabbi walking on the water, Peter rightly goes, well, if it's really you, tell me to come too. Because you've already said that I can be like you. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm your disciple. So call me out onto the water. So Jesus invites Peter out onto the water. And we know this bit of the story well. He, he steps out on the water and for a moment he's, he's walking on the water. He's, he's rising above the storm just as Jesus was. And then the text tells us that Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. I think that's quite interesting that Matthew chose those words. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. If it was me, it would be the waves. I guess you could say that the waves are the result of the wind, but uh, still to this day, there's something about uh, a rolling, waving, moving sea that I find rises some bit of inner terror within me at its power and strength. And for me, it would be the waves that would bring me terror. But Matthew says it was the wind that he saw almost kind of again possibly alluding to the way wind would begin to be used within early Christianity as the forces that were against him. And you know what? There are times in our faith journeys when we're in the midst of these storms that we start to lose faith in if God can actually do what he needs to do in us, can't we? Where we we almost stop believing that we are able to rise above, that we are able to get through this. And I think like Peter, he's beginning to lose faith that, that God can help him stand on top of the water. But he doesn't lose all his faith. And I think this is really important here. This is a really important one. We hear these words of Jesus, you of little faith as kind of a negative, a criticism. Uh, But I don't really hear them way. I I hear an acknowledgement that there is faith. And although Peter's faith is small, although it's tiny, although there isn't masses of it, it's enough to turn to Jesus and say, save me. He has enough faith to know that Jesus can pull him out of the water. And you know what? It's enough. Because our faith, if it is in Jesus, no matter how tiny, no matter how minute, no matter how minuscule it appears, if it is in the right thing, it is enough. And any faith in Jesus, no matter how little, no matter how tiny, is enough to help us get through the storm. And so Peter, although he he doesn't you know, finish the heroic story, he's got a little bit of a trip up and a little bit of a fall, um, I don't really quite, can't quite imagine how the disciples would have reacted to that when he got back in the boat, where there would have been a bit of ribbing or, or what would have taken place. But what we do find here is the encouragement that even when we're struggling to see how we can get through the situations that we face, this story reminds us that all we need is that little bit of faith in Jesus, that little bit of faith that he has what it takes to rescue us from the storms that we're facing. And no matter how little, no matter how small, faith in the rightly placed thing is enough. Because it isn't the faith that rescued Peter. It isn't the faith that rescues us. It's the thing in which we have faith in that matters. 
And in Peter's case, it was in the right thing. It was in Jesus, the Son of God. And he placed his faith in that, although be it small. And that was enough for Jesus to reach out his hand and pull him out of the water. And they get into the boat. And Jesus, uh, immediately the, the, the storm calms down, the wind dies down. And they carry on their journey and they carry on their way. Just to kind of close and kind of to create a little bit of space, uh, I believe this morning, for for God to kind of speak into this story. Because I I see this story as being such an, an incredibly relatable picture to the reality of so many of our lives. I mean, maybe you're here this morning and life feels a bit like the start of this story. It feels euphoric. It feels happy. Things have never been better. Uh, you came in here skipping and dancing and singing, and, and things are amazing. Maybe getting in here today was a fight. Maybe you had to wrestle with yourself all weekend about whether you would show up this morning, about whether you would get out of bed and come in here. Maybe the storm and the waves are buffeting, tormenting, and torturing you. Maybe you're somewhere in between. But either way, I think this story is incredibly relatable. There's a practice that uh, dates back centuries within Christianity called Divina Lectio, where people would sit with a portion of the scripture and they would read it and they would invite God to use their imaginations to come and help speak to them, to come and help bring life to these stories, particularly used with the gospel narratives. Uh, There's a rich history with Christianity of approaching Scripture in this way. And I actually wanted to spend a little bit of time just to finish in this way. So what we're going to do in a moment is I'm going to read the story. I'm going to pray in a moment, and then I'm going to read the story again. And as I read the story together, I want you to try to hold all the sort of things that we've been talking about and that you've been thinking about. Things that, as I've been talking, perhaps the Spirit's been placing in your mind, stories, people, circumstances, feelings. And as we read this story, I want you to imagine that you're there. If it helps to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you fall asleep, maybe keep your eyes open, wherever, wherever you happen to be this morning. But I want you to imagine that you're in that boat, that you're with the disciples, and that Jesus is interacting with you. So as we go through this story, we're just going to invite that God would speak to us, that he would uh, somehow speak into your story and your life in something that will mean something really profound to you, and then we'll, we'll close and we'll, we'll sing a final song together um, just to close off our time. So, Father, I thank you that you are not a ghost. You are not an apparition. You are not someone that is far removed from our daily struggles. I thank you as well for this truth. That through Jesus' faithful death and resurrection, you have established a new kingdom where we are no longer slaves to the brokenness that we see in our lives and around us, but instead we can be a part of how everything is being put right. And I ask you, God, living God, the God who became flesh, that as we read this story again, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would come and just give us that word, give us that picture, give us that encouragement that we need or that we need to share with someone else today. So again, just keeping your eyes closed, just trying as best you can imagine this story with me. Immediately, 
Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. As you're looking back at the shore, you can see him beginning to dismiss the crowd, sending people on their way. As light begins to fade, as night approaches, the crowd gets less and less and you are moving further and further away from shore. Eventually the crowd uh, seems to completely disappear and in the barely bits of the light that are left, you see Jesus uh, begin to saunter up a mountainside. And as you turn your attention to crossing the lake now in darkness, the storm begins to hit. The wind begins to howl. The sea begins to roll, crashing up and down. Water coming over the side, feeling like you're not making any progress, feeling like you're not really able to move forward. And it just goes on. Not for minutes, but for hours. After hour, after hour, nothing seems to be shifting this storm. It's like it's planted itself immediately overhead. You're feeling tired. You're feeling weary. You're feeling drained. You're wondering if this is ever going to stop. And suddenly, a short ways away, in between the mist and the rain, you see this figure approaching. You can sense the terror rise in everyone around you, wondering what this thing that approaching is. You hear whispers of a ghost. You hear cries of terror, people just so tired. The fear is just leaping to the surface. And then you hear his voice. It's as if the words are directed straight to you. Take courage. As you hear those words, it's almost like drinking hot chocolate on a cold winter's day. You feel this warmth, this energy, this strength kind of rising up from within you. It is I. Don't be afraid. Immediately you know the voice is Jesus's. And somehow as your eyes fixate on him, although the storm is still raging, it all seems to quiet down. And it almost feels like it's just you and him in the middle of this storm. He stretches out a hand and invites you to come Join him on the water, almost without even thinking, almost like it's second nature, almost like it was uh, something that you were built within you to do. You grab his hand and you step out of the boat. I want to just pause there for a moment. And in your imagination, just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And maybe, just maybe this morning, As you're fixed on him in your mind, you will hear Jesus say something. You will see him do something. But I'm just going to give a moment for the Spirit to direct your thoughts, because he is sovereign there too.
And then Jesus just takes you by the hand, leads you in the boat, and everything quiets down. Father, we thank you again that you are the Lord of Lords, that you are the King of Kings. I thank you, God, that at these moments when we hear your voice, it can change everything. And I pray, God, not just in this few moments we've had together now, but later today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, especially for those who find life tormenting and buffeting and torturous at the moment. God, that you would speak your words that they would sense and hear and know those words, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And God, would you help us to know that these dark times, these seasons of pain are not things to run away from, but things to recognize that you are present with us in so that we can walk them, however long or short short those journeys are, that we can walk them and know what it's like to rise above the waves and be with you. Amen. Just to close our time, the band are going to come back up and we're going to sing a a closing song, Lord, I come to you. Thank you.